Hi, everybody. This is the Funeral Science Podcast, a podcast about funeral science. I'm Ben, and I will be your funeral scientist for today. Okay, funeral scientists, in this episode, we are going to talk about shrunken heads. This topic came to mind because recently, Mercer University in Macon, Georgia, repatriated a shrunken head, better known as a Sansa, they had on display back to its native Ecuador. These bizarre artifacts show up in pop culture, and I wanted to know what the heck it is and how it is made. First, a little background. The practice originated with the Hivaroan tribes in the Amazon, and its purpose was to truly capture their enemies, even after death, in order to stop them from exacting revenge and force their enemies into servitude. They also reminded their enemies exactly what that tribe was capable of in battle. They gained notoriety in the Western world when the Hivaroans learned that they could use them to trade with Westerners for guns and knives. In fact, this took place until the 1930s when Peru and Ecuador banned trafficking in Santas because people were grave robbing, killing animals in order to make counterfeits and other more gruesome things in order to meet the demand. So how are they made? First, the head is removed from the body of a fallen enemy because this is how one truly strips them of their power. Next, the skull has to be removed through incisions in the back of the head and behind the ears as the shrinking process does not affect the skull. After the skull is removed, the eyes and mouth are sealed in order to make sure the spirit of the enemy could not escape. The next step is to place a wooden ball or rock inside the soft tissue and boil the skin. This will contract the collagen fibers in the soft tissue to about one-third its original size. This is done for about an hour, but not more than two. After this, the tanning process would take place. The skin was filled with hot rocks and sand, causing the skin to shrink from the inside. Once this was complete, the back of the head was stitched shut and a hot rock was used to iron and shape the features. Finally, the head was hung over a fire until it was hardened. So if you have any enemies to take care of and don't mind staring at their shrunken, hardened face, this could be an interesting route to take. The most succinct article on this topic I found was from sciencenotes.org. I will put the link in the show notes as well as the article on the repatriation of the Sansa from Mercer University there as well. Before we go, let's talk about how to identify authentic Sansas. First of all, they are illegal to sell and it is estimated that 80% of them in museums and private collections are fakes. A true Sansa will have nose hair, the incision in the back of the head and behind the ears. The ear will also look like a normal human ear, only smaller. 
There are some very good fakes out there, and the only true way to know is a DNA analysis and an examination of the hair under the microscope. This human hair looks different than animal hair. Fakes are made from animals such as monkeys, goats, and sloths. Fakes are regularly available and perfectly legal to buy depending on the source of the fake. Some of the animals I just listed could also be in danger. If owning one is something that interests you, search out the best fake you can find that is transparent about its fakeness. And now for this episode's listener question. What do you do when the people come in with the mouth open and the jaw is fixed? What this listener is referring to is rigor mortis, the postmortem stiffening of the muscles. Before I answer the question, it requires a brief description of what rigor mortis is. In episode one, I answered the question about whether or not dead bodies can sit up. Reminder, they can't. As a result of rigor mortis, when a person is alive, a protein on the muscle filament called myosin switches back and forth between another protein called actin and adenosine triphosphate or ATP. ATP is the energy we use to create movement and after death its absence allows for actin and myosin to lock together. When this happens the noticeable stiffening of all the muscle proteins creates what is known as rigor mortis. There are three parts of the rigor mortis cycle. Primary felicity, when all of the muscles lose tension, but there's still some presence of ATP to prevent actin and myosin from locking. And the muscles, of course, are relaxed. The second part is the muscle stiffening of that we think of when we think about rigor mortis. And the third part is the release of that stiffening as the muscles decompose. If a deceased person comes in a stiffened state of rigor mortis, embalmers massage and bend the limbs in order to break the proteins, actin, and myosin. Fortunately, because we the living are stronger than some measly proteins, the muscles typically loosen relatively easily depending on the muscle density of the individual. This would include the muscles of the jaw as well. Usually, by gently opening and closing it a few times, the rigor mortis can be broken. It is important to note here that breaking the protein bond is not only important for body positioning, but is also important for embalming solution distribution. When the proteins are locked, they create a resistance against the distribution and diffusion of our embalming chemicals. Further, the stiffness can also be mistaken for false preservation and the person can continue decomposing rather than stabilizing post-embalming when the previously rigored proteins break down. Now for something good that's happening. The Funeral Boss Foundation is an organization with two functions. The first is a nonprofit to help funeral service professionals and mortuary students to reduce the cost of tuition and textbooks. The Funeral Boss Foundation also has the Angel Fund, which helps defray funeral costs for families who have suffered the loss of a child. Thank you to founder Elaine Valdez and her board of directors for creating an organization that represents two important functions of funeral service by supporting education and community. 
If you would like to donate to the Funeral Boss Foundation, they accept both money and textbooks. Or if you find yourself in need of either of their services, reach out to them at funeralbossinc at gmail.com. I will also put a link to their nonprofit page in the show notes that will provide you the guidance on how to apply or to donate. In the meantime, you can follow Funeral Boss Inc. on Instagram and enjoy their daily messages of positivity and support. You can also listen to the Funeral Boss podcast available on Spotify, Apple, and Google. Okay, that brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, do you have a question for me to answer? Send your questions to ben at morktracker.com. That's B-E-N at M-O-R-T-R-A-Q-R.com with the subject line podcast question. Are you or someone you know doing something that promotes education, equality, or otherwise raises awareness about an issue in funeral service? Please send me information about it to ben at morttracker.com. That's B-E-N at M-O-R-T-R-A-Q-R.com with the subject line, a good thing is happening. And that ends with an exclamation mark. So be sure to include that. Otherwise, I'm not going to read it. Um, finally, you can follow me at morttracker. That's m-o-r-t-r-a-q-r on instagram for more information on funeral science so that's it everybody i'll see you later